Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Uh, We're here with our guest today, uh, Steve Green, who may be best known to many of you as president of Hobby Lobby uh, and the co-founder of the Museum of the Bible. But the reason we're having him on today is because of his new book entitled This Beautiful Book, An Exploration of the Bible's Incredible Storyline and Why It Matters Today. So, Steve, welcome. We're really glad to have you with us. You bet. I appreciate you having me on. Well, tell us, first of all, what motivated you to write this book on the Bible? Uh, and you've, you've got sort of a unique style in this where you're, re, you're retelling a lot of the major stories of the Bible. Tell us a little bit about why you chose to write it in the way that you did. Well, I was uh, giving a tour in the museum, and uh, uh, we, we look at the Bible in three ways, the Bible Museum, its history, its impact, and its narrative. And I had made the comment that uh, on the narrative floor, our effort, our goal is for a person to have a basic understanding of the story of the Bible, uh, really for the person that doesn't know the, the Bible story at all. And um, uh, a prominent pastor made a comment that that's where uh, some uh, scholars may give you some flack uh, trying to point out that it is a story. And uh, I just have to kind of scratch my head thinking, you know, they, they have read this book, haven't they? Um, <laughs> and yet there are those that will argue that it's it's not, that it's just a mishmash of stories. But um, when, when you are take an honest assessment of the book, it, it tells a story. And so uh, what I wanted to do was really tell the Bible story and highlight how that it all comes together to tell one large meta narrative. Uh, uh, a story that uh, if if it is true, as I believe it is, then it indicates that we're we're still right in the middle of that story, which is uh, an, an intriguing thought in itself. But uh, the point is to show that it is a story and, and what is that story. So let let me let me see if you can summar, summarize this in a sentence or two, because I, I love the subtitle of this, an exploration of the Bible's incredible storyline. So what what is that? For people who may not be familiar with the Bible, how would you summarize that in a sentence or two? Yeah, the, the short of it, it, it is a story of a good creator, God, that created all things, and it was good. But uh, because of man's disobedience, the relationship was lost, and he had to send a son to pay the price that uh, that relationship could be restored if we accept it. That's the story of the Bible. All right. So it goes, so it goes from creation being good, fall— fouling it up, redemption being the, the story of, of the restoration of that and what it, what it could be, and then consummation when, the, when, it, when it all comes together at the end when the Lord returns. Exactly. When, when, and ultimately, when this life is all over, uh, there is a, a great reunion for those that have accepted that uh, free gift that's been given. So what, um, what do you say to people who— Maybe it may question you, you know, why you put so much effort and so much, you know, funding into the Museum of the Bible. Uh, you know, we, we have, a, a, I think, an incredible level of biblical illiteracy today and indifference to the Bible today. What do you, what the second half of that subtitle, the why it matters part, what would you tell people if they question you about why the Bible matters today and sort of why have you, why have you put all this effort into, um, you know, communicating the stuff about the Bible? 
Well, uh, th- this book has had an impact on my life in multiple ways. Um, it has informed our family. I grew up in a Christian home, regularly went to church and uh, in, in our business. Their very first um, uh, statement is we want to operate our business according to biblical principles. And uh, and I've been blessed to be in a nation that uh, our founders look to the Bible to to uh, build many of the principles our nation has been built on. Uh, they, they got those from the Bible. The the concept that all men are created equal uh, is a biblical concept, and that's that's where they got it. And so, uh, so I've been blessed multiple times in multiple ways, uh, from uh, the the nation to the, our business and our family. None of them are perfect, um, and yet they have been blessed, though, as uh, we have followed the principles and guidelines that have been given in the Bible. And so, uh, it is our desire that uh, all people would uh, consider this book. Um, the the purpose of the museum that uh, we built is to invite all people to engage with this uh, this book, and uh, hopefully, as they look into it and learn of it, they will be inspired to uh, get to know it even better, and ultimately get to know the author of the book uh, uh, and and his son that he sent. Uh, that we might have life, uh, Jesus. So um, it has been such an impact on our lives, on my life. We we want to encourage others to consider it. Steve, I work with high school students and a lot of college students in the next generation. It seems there's more illiteracy, confusion, and just skepticism about the Bible with young people today. And that's across generations as well. What do you say to people who just don't understand it, or even more importantly, are just skeptical about its importance and why it's even possibly true? Well, uh, first I would say I I understand. Um, uh, It it is a a challenging read. Uh, there's, There's challenging parts of it. So if somebody were to just try to read through it, they can get to some pretty challenging parts right off the bat. Um, and so, uh, and, and then we, we live in a skeptical world. There are many out there that would try to discredit the Bible, that would try to say it says something different than what it says. And so there's, there's a lot of questions out there, and we don't teach it in our schools as we once did. Therefore, uh, we, we are probably more ignorant of this book than we've ever been as a nation. So I had, I get it and I understand. Um, and, and that's why I've felt like it would be a value to say, well, let's, let's set all that aside for a moment. Let's just, first of all, understand what is this book story and what, what is it saying? Uh, and then uh, it's a great starting point for a person versus hearing a lot of the the chatter and the uh, stuff that goes on out there. Um, and, and that's what I was wanting to do with the book. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I work with high school students and so many students understand the story of Samson, David, Jesus, mm-hmm. but they have no idea how the big picture kind of fits together. For somebody who's just starting, where would you suggest they begin in reading the Bible? Do they start with Genesis and work their way through, start with the Gospels? If you had someone who just didn't know much about the scriptures, where would you say, you know what, here's a good place to start? Yeah, I think that uh, there potentially is different answers for for different people. But um, I would think that, you know, getting a good uh, foundation in Genesis and Exodus and understanding the, the challenging challenges that uh, the Bible uh, explains much of the struggles that we face in life, um, and then maybe jump to a, a book of John uh, or one of the Gospels to uh, to see some of the uh, uh, the culmination. Uh, but 
There's a lot of good stuff in between as well, but um, that might be a good uh, place for somebody to start. Steve, I love the challenge that you issue to those people who are confused or skeptical about the Bible and why it matters. Uh, And that is just simply to read it. Uh, I mean, Sean and I both come across lots of people who are critical of the Bible, and we are stunned to find out how, how many of those critics have never read the Bible, not, not, not to mention all the way through, but are really minimally exposed to a lot of the Bible. And so I, I think that, that challenge that is, is throughout your book may be one of the most impactful things that you say throughout the book. I take it you've had several critics uh, of of your work on the Bible and on the museum uh, that have never read the book seriously for themselves. Well, and and, and even scholars. Uh, there were there was a scholar in, uh, in 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 an interview that made the comment to to make the New Testament seem as if it's a continuation of the Old Testament is a Christian view of the Bible, and. It, it just makes me think, well, it is a Christian view of the Bible. It's, it should be an honest atheist view of the Bible because it is a biblical view of the Bible. The Bible itself is saying uh, when Jesus in the New Testament says he, says he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets, he's, he's tying it all together. And when you have prophecies in the Old Testament that are clearly pointing to Jesus, uh, there, there are uh, an honest assessment of this book is that it is telling a continuous story. Um, so yes, there are those that will um, uh, scoff and say, well, that's just my perspective. It's a Christian perspective, but uh, I would argue, no, it's it's an honest perspective of the Bible if we just let it speak for itself. One of my favorite floors at the Museum of the Bible, I got to visit with my son about a year and a half ago, was the floor that just shows how wildly influential the Bible has been in literature, in history, in art, and so on. And I'm curious if you could explain some of that to a skeptic who goes, well, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe the Bible's true. How would you make the case that somebody should still take the Bible seriously, even if they begin with an assumption that God doesn't exist, miracles don't happen, and they don't buy the Christian story? Yeah, well, the, the, the narrative floor, as I said, is where we just are trying to tell the story of the Bible for the person that doesn't know any of the Bible story. And then the history and the impact floor really are addressing two questions. One is, is this book true? And there are those that argue it's, it's not. Uh, it's a fable made up. And then there are uh, those that argue it's been the scourge of the earth, created all the wars and so forth. And and the impact floor is to address that. Um, has this book been good for uh, society or not? And when you give it an honest assessment, it has had an impact in every area of life, and it has uh, been good for mankind in every area. Yes, there have been those that have taken God's Word and use it for their own selfish ill intent, but my argument is not to blame the Bible for man's misuse of it. Uh, when we follow the principles of this book as designed, uh, it's been good for mankind uh, in every area. And that's uh, what we're uh, trying to show in in the impact floor is that it has been a force for good uh, in our world. Yeah, I think some some of the critics, I think, don't, don't often make the distinction between uh, what, the, what the Bible teaches and sometimes our inability to live up to the Bible's ideals. Uh, and sometimes they blame our inability to live up to those ideals as a criticism of the ideals themselves, 
uh, and so I think that that's a I think a helpful distinction to make when it comes to the impact of the Bible. Yeah, and really, uh, only you have really interesting uh, yeah, reaffirms what the Bible teaches, and that is that we are all fallen, we are all imperfect, and therefore it would be expected that we're going to make mistakes and mess up, and uh, even uh, once we've accepted Christ, uh, we we still are uh, imperfect people that that make makes mistakes, and it just shows that the the Bible has that right as well. You have a really interesting section in the book on the Bible's significance, something that I was not familiar with. It, it was the list of the top 100 events of the last thousand years. Tell us a little bit about that list and uh, what sits atop the list. Yeah, Life, Life Magazine in the year 2000 uh, at the millennium uh, came out with this publication, 100 Most Important Events of a, of a Millennium for the last thousand years in uh, things like uh, Columbus discovering America, germ theory, uh, Hitler uh, coming to power. So uh, it was not necessarily uh, good. It was good or bad, which makes me think the term important probably wasn't right. Uh, I think that impactful would have been a better term because uh, I, I wouldn't argue that Hitler coming to power was important, but it impacted our world. Um, but number one on that list was Gutenberg prints the Bible. And I think it's important to, to note it wasn't the Gutenberg Press. It was Gutenberg Prince the Bible. That changed our world. And I suspect that most people would not think of the Gutenberg printing the Bible being such an impact in our world. And yet it has had an impact and impacted our world in, as Time Magazine put it, the, the most significant uh, or Life Magazine, excuse me, the most uh, Im important event of a millennium. So um, if it's had such an impact on our world, I think that uh, it's important that people know it. Uh, why Why did it have such an impact? Was that impact for good or, or ill? And is it something that we should uh, continue to look to, to have uh, an impact on our world or reject, uh, like Hitler coming to power? So uh, it, I think it's there's great value in understanding its impact and uh, being curious as to find out why. I think just from a historical and cultural perspective, I think so many people fail to just understand the reach that the Bibles had. And that's what I appreciate about the museum so much, even though I've grown up in, in a Christian circles and been trained apologetics and theology. I was stunned at how deep and far and wide the Bible's influence is. But let me ask you a personal question about that. For me, my favorite stories in the Bible are David and Goliath. And then when Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, I have a choice over you know, your life or death. And Jesus looks at him battered and bruised and says, you have no power over me. I love those two instances in the Bible. Do you have a favorite book or story that just speaks to you personally from the scriptures? Oh, there's there's different ones at different times. One that has been, uh, as, especially as I've been writing uh, this particular book, that's trying to show that it is a story, is this interesting encounter that Jesus has on the day of his resurrection. He comes upon a couple of people walking on a road. Uh, they're heading to Emmaus and asks them, you know, what what are you guys talking about? And And they're kind of, dumbfounded. Don't you know what just happened? Is that, uh, you know, this person that we thought was the Messiah was crucified? And and it says that Jesus goes on to tell them how that through all of the law and the prophets about him and how that he had to do that to fulfill what was 
predicted of him. And you just are left thinking, oh, if we could only have sat there and heard Jesus explain through all of the law and the prophets how that it all pointed to him. Um, And as we read the Old Testament with that eye saying, where and how is this pointing to Jesus? You know, and and the first one, you could go back to Genesis chapter three, uh, where this prophecy uh, is is pointing to Jesus and what he was going to do on the cross. And and just over and over again, um, it, it just is an intriguing thought that uh, these two guys got to hear Jesus himself pointing all that out and, oh, to have been a fly on the wall to hear that conversation. You know, Steve, uh, I suspect many of our listeners have not been to the Museum of the Bible. Uh, shame on them <laughs> for not. Uh, but uh, And they may not even be familiar with it. Um, so t- tell us a little bit about the museum. Uh, why Why was this such a burden for you? To, to, to be one of the co-founders, uh, and what do you hope that it actually accomplishes, say, 10 years from now? Well, um, it was originally a, a group that wanted to put in a, a museum in Dallas and asked for our help and uh, said that we would consider that, and um, uh, then uh, our, we started collecting uh, uh, in 2009 during a time when the economy was struggling and some opportunities presented themselves, and as our collection grew, the family just felt the sense of responsibility that maybe we needed to make sure that this dream became a reality. Uh, we, we were having a, a collection that was growing from a single item that was bought at a auction to a collector that had collected for 30 years and had, uh, you know, roughly 10,000 items in his collection. And um, so as, as the collection grew, uh, we just said we, we needed to uh, make sure it happened. Uh, it was not a foreign concept. My brother that had started a Christian bookstore had mentioned uh, throughout the years the idea of putting in a Bible museum. So uh, it was uh, not not foreign. And uh, and this, it was like, you know, we just saw God's hand in it time and time again that uh, that that he was uh, directing and showing us the way. And uh, it, it, it was an exciting venture for uh, for us and a lot. To, to learn uh, mistakes made and uh, uh, having to adjust. But uh, it, it's just been really uh, an exciting journey that uh, we saw God's hand in it from time and time again and uh, continue to see God using the museum um, and uh, excited about, you know, all that it can be. We're, we're brand new. We're, we're rookies at it, but a lot for us to learn, but a lot of uh, good things going on there at the museum. One of the things that really surprised me in a good way is just walking through the museum, how much it took to put this together from marketing to architecture to getting the the different, you know, archaeological finds that are there. I mean, what a task it was from beginning to now. I'm curious, what, what surprised you most in being a part of putting this museum together? And that could be anything. It could be good. It could be a challenge. What was something that you got through it and just thought, man, I did not anticipate this in building a museum. And how did you guys respond yeah, to it? Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the questions we had early on is if we build it, will they come? Uh, is there an interest in a museum? Mm. And the, we engaged a gentleman to do a survey and ask a hundred questions of a thousand people across the country. And the primary one was if we build it, would they come? And uh, he made the comment, you know, uh, it, it was overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive. It was over 80 percent had a positive view of uh, a Bible museum. And so wow. uh, I don't know that I was expecting that. 
And he made the comment that you have a winning concept on your hand. And I remember thinking that is great. Restaurants are a winning concept, but they go out of business all day long. <laughs> so it's not that you have a winning concept. You still have to do it well and do it uh, right. And so we engaged some of the leading design firms around the country to help us uh, make sure that we told this story in an engaging way. They built presidential libraries to work with Disney and um, uh, each were kind of given a specific portion of the museum and a task to to take that and make it the best it can be. And uh, and they they did a great job. And uh, the other the other thing that comes to mind was just the the response we had in D.C., which uh, I was a bit concerned. How how is D.C. going to respond to a Bible museum? But um, at one point, one of our advisors made a comment that they had never seen a project go through all the uh, committee approvals with 100 percent approval. Yet ours had. So uh, we oh just believe, and that was, that was a surprise to us as well, but um, we just believe God was going before us and we, we saw his hand in it time and time again, and that being an example. Well, after all, g- given how the Bible impacted the founding fathers, uh, that would be sort of odd to have people in Washington, D.C. give you grief about a museum of the Bible. Yeah, it's, um, it's been— So tell us, Steve— I was going to say, you know, there's been times that we've been somewhat— criticized because we put it in D.C. and and as if, you know, all we're there for is to influence Congress. And of course, I'm thinking, who's not in D.C. to try to influence Congress? And what would be wrong if that was part of our motivation? <laughs> we do hope that Congress comes in and understands the influence this book has had on our nation. Um, but but it was it was selected because of the three cities we were looking at. It showed that is where it would be best attended because it's just a hub of museums in our nation. And it just made sense that uh, we would be in D.C. because we want to be where uh, museum goers are going. And and that's D.C. So, Steve, tell us a little bit more about how your work with the museum has impacted your own faith and particularly your appreciation of the Bible. Well, you know, I, I grew up with an appreciation and um, but but. It was not at a scholarly level. I'm, I was a layman. I am a layman. I you know attend church, but I've never had any biblical training. But uh, this this venture, this journey, has uh, allowed me to to rub shoulders with some of the leading scholars in the world. Um, and as the the more I have learned some of the challenges and some of the uh, depth of, of what we have, the archaeological evidence, the manuscript evidence. Um, it has really given me a greater appreciation for this book and how incredible of a book that we have. Um, the, the evidence is overwhelming. You know, there there are those that have set out to prove Scripture wrong. Uh, that uh, when they are willing to go where the evidence leads, it it causes them to say, you know, for me not to believe this takes greater faith than to believe it. And and so the the more I've learned, the more I've um, studied the deeper my faith has been and the greater appreciation I have had for this book. And uh, so, so the journey has been a learning experience for me that uh, uh, has, has been of great value for me and my family. In my life, one of the reasons I have such respect for and love for the authority of scripture is just parents who believed it, lived it. My father's been an apologist and he would write books and defend it. 
They would read it and just model and live it in their life. I'm curious, what are the things in your life that has given you just a love and respect for the scriptures? Well, I I would point back to your dad's book as well. Uh, I remember I was in high school and uh, getting a copy and reading it and and it deepening my faith. Um, Of course, uh, raised in a Christian home, so there was that foundation, going to church. we would go to youth camps uh, regularly, and I remember those uh, being strengthening times uh, for uh, for my faith, as well as uh, conferences that that uh, we, you know, after I got married, we would go to. And uh, those those are times where you you set aside aside some time alone that you kind of are turning the world off, and you're just focusing on God uh, for a concentrated period of time. I have found that those to be uh, uh, important times in my life. Um, and uh, so there, there's a lot of factors, uh, you know, my own personal uh, reading in scripture as, as I'm hearing from God, I uh, teach a Sunday school lesson, rotate with a couple of others. And uh, th- those are opportunities for me to go deep in sections and, and learn and hear from God. So uh, there's many disciplines like that, that uh, have uh, informed my life. Steve, I think for, for many of our listeners, um, especially who, who have not been exposed to your book yet, uh, you may be best known for being president of Hobby Lobby. Uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that uh, you've, you, early on in your business, uh, devoted yourself to running the business according to biblical principles, and you've seen how that's, how that's functioned in your business. But could you be interesting to just to hear you say a little bit more about how you see the business of Hobby Lobby connecting with your Christian faith? I think that um, it it starts with that uh, first statement of purpose is that uh, we operate our business. We strive to operate our business according to biblical principles. And and I go back to uh, a lesson uh, that uh, dad taught us years ago, and he still teaches today, still active in the business is, that um, in 1986, he had a family meeting and uh, said, sat us down and told us he did not know how the company would survive because 85 was the one year in our history where we lost money. And so 86 was a very tough year. Uh, our profits were uh, typically all made in the fourth quarter at that time. And uh, we were uh, facing some the slow, slow months. And dad got to a point where he didn't see uh, that uh, he'd be able to pay the bills. So he, he spent a lot of time crying out to God during those uh, uh, months of, of 1986. And uh, the year wound up being the second, almost double the best profit year we had ever had. And uh, dad will say to this day that it was uh, a clear lesson to him is that this is not our business. Uh, he was crying out to God to intervene. We, we believe he did. And uh, uh, the, the, the lesson is it. This is his business. We are only stewards of it, and we are called to operate it according to the principles that he's given to us. And that was very formative. Um, and the, this this idea, this concept that uh, God God owns it, we're just stewards of it, uh, was was and is foundational to how we strive to operate the business. You know, I've, I've thought I've thought a bit about this just as as we've been thinking about the chance to have a conversation with you. Uh, you know, I remember when, when my kids were young, uh, the, the number of projects that we got involved with that began with a purchase <laughs> at Hobby Lobby. Uh, 
And there, there was a, an enormous amount of relational capital that I built up with my kids when they were young that began with a trip to Hobby Lobby to get a project that we were going to work on together. And I thought about, you know, how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of conversations and connections between parents and kids started with somebody, you know, a dad and a son or a mother and a daughter who, walk, who walked into a Hobby Lobby together to buy something that, you know, we might, we might think, you know, doesn't have a lot of lasting value. Uh, but it was the beginning of maybe some really impactful conversations and relationship building that occurred between parents and kids. Uh, and it's, it's just struck me that that, that's a really significant part of the ministry of Hobby Lobby and the, the kingdom service that, you know, the, the very business itself, yeah, how you run it matters too. But the, the very stuff you were selling actually has the, you know, the potential to have, you know, that kind of relational capital built up between parents and kids. Did you, did you ever think about what the, what the, the ministry of Hobby Lobby could be in, in, in basically the products yeah, that you sold? You, you know, I don't way? know that that was uh, some of the thoughts going into the business, but you uh, kind of in hindsight, you you think of some of those ramifications that uh, we just happen to be in a business that uh, uh, that that is unique. Um, you know, people you talk about having left brain, right brain, the the creative mind, and the more the orderly mind. And uh, you know, we're 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 catering to the creative mind, and and there are many out there that uh, uh, are, are creative and and. God made us a creative being. He is a creator God. And um, uh, in, in the Old Testament, he called upon the artisans that were skilled in their art to help build the temple and, and tabernacle. So, so God celebrates uh, the creative mind. And, and, uh, and it is, as you mentioned, a great opportunity for um, uh, family development and uh, development of, of the, the being that God has created, uh, especially uh, those that are creative. I don't claim to be very creative myself, but uh, uh, so yeah. I, again, some of that you don't you is not necessarily the thoughts when when you're first going into it. It's it's a business and it's a, a way to make a, a profit. And uh, but but you kind of in hindsight you you think of that and you see how that uh, God was in it the whole time. Steve, I have a final question for you that I, I hope is okay. You obviously know as well as anybody that we live in a time where there's a lot of discussion and even concern amongst Christians about religious liberty. And we were rooting for and thrilled about the Supreme Court case that came down in the past two or three years in favor of Hobby Lobby. Moving forward, do you have any concerns further that are looming or how do you process just kind of the moment we live in culturally and your rights to operate a business according to the principles that it was founded yeah, on? Yeah, I think that uh, during that time, uh, everywhere we went, uh, you know, we you know had different uh, engagements at different places. Um, we, we had people all over the country that said that they were praying for us. And so we, we owe a debt of gratitude to people all over our nation that was praying for our case, and we appreciate that. And, and you know, when we had the win at the Supreme Court, it uh, really was um, – you had this sense of gratitude for the nation and our founders and the religious freedoms that they enshrined in our constitution. 
But uh, I also think of the, the movie of uh, Amazing Grace. It's a movie about William Wilberforce and his fight in slavery in uh, Europe. And um, it kind of ends with this great celebration because uh, the bill was passed and uh, it was like, you know, and they lived happily ever after. But but the problem is there, there's never on this earth a living happily ever after. There We, we are always going to have to fight um, our enemy, um, those that would uh, try to fight against God and his kingdom. And there are uh, always, and there has always been and always will be a need for a William Wilberforce. So while, while we won, the fight's not over. There, there are still battles out there. Um, and uh, some, sometimes I have been surprised of, I, you know, I thought our case settled some of that issue, but, uh, but the but bat- battle still goes on and we have to be vigilant and, and standing for truth as, one of our founders made a comment, I'm paraphrasing, that uh, the only thing for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And uh, so so good men have to constantly be in the fight, uh, fighting for good. Steve, we want to say a special thanks for being with us. It's been a rich conversation during our time. And I want to commend to our listeners uh, not only your, your, your new book called This Beautiful Book, an exploration of the Bible's incredible storyline and why it matters today. But also, if, there, if, if our listeners are not familiar with the Museum of the Bible, to go online uh, and to visit it in person uh, whenever possible. Uh, it's a wonderful place, and you've, done, you've just done a wonderful thing by uh, providing that uh, for not only for the, the Christian community, but for the, the culture at large. So we're very grateful for your uh, being My on pleasure. With us Thank today. you both for having me. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Steve Green, and his book entitled This Beautiful Book, an exploration of the Bible's incredible storyline and why it matters today. And to find more episodes of our podcast, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.